Um, well, should I start? Yeah. <laughs> you always cool. do. <laughs> Great. No, I didn't mean, like, do you want to start? I meant, like... <laughs> Welcome to Bread and Barricades. This is Nemo Martin, your host. I use they, them pronouns. And before we started recording today, we talked for maybe 45 minutes, an hour. I don't know when we actually jumped into this phone call, but we talked for maybe an hour about Snyder Cut and then MCU. (laughs) I feel like there are a billion podcasts about both of those things, but... uh... (laughs) I feel like the conversation was hot and you all missed out. Yeah. We we talked about race. We talked about foot fetish. We talked about... <laughs> I think you have to have one to be a male director. Yeah, I, I do think so. Maybe that's what I'm missing. Maybe that's what, when I'll get my like uh, time to shine is when I finally put foot fetish on main and then everyone's like, oh my God, and yeah, team- your work actually means something now. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's yeah. that's where you want to leave that one? <laughs> well, no, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll just get going again and 40 minutes will pass. Yeah. Uh, I'm Stevie, she, her pronouns. I had planned mine ahead of time, so we won't tell you any more about our great ideas, <laughs> uh, what we think a good setup and payoff is, any of that. Um, to follow on from my last week's an update... Uh, of last week's intro um, when I was really doubting my own dyslexia which my therapist thought was fucking hilarious of me (laughs) (laughs) since then I had to send Nemo a screenshot of my screen for some reason and just getting the little message from Nemo like Stevie you spell our own podcast incorrectly why are you doubting (laughs) I've not changed the name of that folder. It's staying as as that forever. I completely forgot about that. I yeah, that was one of the highlights of my working career. I think <laughs> I I did find it funny. Like I mostly found it funny because everything else was spelled correctly. It was just our podcast that was spelled wrong. I mean, the other things are D and D food ideas. <laughs> So nothing too difficult, no, nothing over a four-letter word. <laughs> um, I guess no, I can't speak of other four-letter words because it's Victor Hugo and they're usually <laughs> longer. Um, so I, I'm thinking the intention going into this episode is that like I've been really high speed shuffling you all through this book, <laughs> being like I'm gonna. I have to give you 11 chapters or we will all perish. (laughs) Um, I think that this is going to be less frantic. Mm -hmm. It's still actually like, I still read six chapters, but Mm. I I feel like it's it's more low key. Um, (laughs) I mean, you're also forgetting the the absolute batshit message that you sent me earlier, which was, I was so bored I started reading Hugo and I was like, (laughs) what the fuck? It's like, you know, when there's other things you should be doing, but you just, like, can't. And I had already played Stardew Valley a couple times today, and I couldn't get a fic to, like, latch into my brain that I was just like, I guess I'll do the reading. I had to stop myself from reading more than six chapters. I was like, oh, I'm going to forget them by the next time we record, and I do not want to reread. <laughs> but we have officially entered part three, Marius. Hell yeah. Enter Marius. The only time he's going to get entered. <laughs> uh, we're on book one, Paris through the study of one of its atoms, which like got me nice and I- I'd been feeling very lethargic and it just gave me that little shot of anger <laughs> <laughs> that I really needed. Uh, and this, so the first chapter of this book is called Parvulus which is, well, actually, I tried to really badly give that a French accent, but it's actually Latin, so... <laughs> but isn't Latin like we don't... Or is it ancient Greek where we don't exactly know what the pronunciation would be, so anything you do is correct? Ancient Greek is the one that we don't know, okay. really. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's Latin for small, which here means child. Aww. So it's less of an 
So the metaphor of Paris through the study of one of its atoms is actually mm. the study of one of its children. Um, the only good thing about BBC Lame is child Marius. And that's the only good thing that I'll say for it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, what was it that he said? Was it like, my father's a bastard? Yeah. Oh, what was the word? Um, uh, there he goes. <laughs> I do remember that scene. Uh. Well, Paris has a child. And the forest has a bird. <laughs> the bird is called the sparrow. The child is called the gammon. Um, so gammon is just gammon with an I, not gammon. The ham with an O. <laughs> <laughs> is a child. Um, and like I think we'd had some chapters also with like bad pun titles of Cosette and... Um, Cosette is maybe not a sparrow, but as her as a little bird and... A lark. A lark, okay. so Because I was like, oh, is it going to be a, another Cosette chapter? And then was like, mm. no, this is Marius. Um, and I think only little boys can be gammons. <laughs> uh, but, you know, here's our theme of bird titles. Mm. Oh, and that Jean Valjean is an owl? Yeah. So they're, they're making... Their version of Hatterful Boyfriend for us. <laughs> <laughs> they being Victor Hugo. Yeah, so he, for the next coming chapters, is like talking about the experience of being a little boy in Paris. He's, he's a little, the little being is joyous. Um, he doesn't eat every day, but he sees a show every evening if he feels like it. We get a lot of, like, a lot of listing descriptions from Hugo about like this nebulous male child from Paris and like what characteristics they'd have like swears like a trooper haunts the taverns he has in his soul a pearl innocence um and pearls do not dissolve in the mire will wear like old clothes between the ages of seven and thirteen lives in gangs god wants him to be innocent (laughs) These descriptions kind of go through a lot of the chapters, so like we're swiftly into chapter two. Some of his characteristics. A little gutter-snipe cherub. He prefers the street because there he finds freedom, but he might have a mother at home. Plays a lot of games and mischief, uh, founded on hatred of the respectful citizen. He has his own coinage. They'll like get up to little tasks to make little copper bits of money. He has his own fauna, which is salamanders. But I don't know if... Because I thought I'd seen salamanders in places, but maybe they were just going through a rough time, the way that Hugo describes them. He's like, it's a black insect armed with horns and it conveys menace. (laughs) It's it's got scales on its belly, but pustules on its back. Black, hairy, slimy, creepy, crawly. And I was like, are they? I yeah, I feel like though um um maybe maybe that's like a um uh, a retro good so someone that I went to university with was from uh Guernsey uh which is one of the islands uh that uh Hugo was exiled on Guernsey in Jersey um and apparently there are loads of lizards like loads and loads and loads they like cover the walls and stuff so maybe hugo was having a bit of a like uh uh salamander crisis (laughs) while he was in exile and was just like i can't put this in many places but i will (laughs) i must (laughs) yeah these little monsters Uh, and finding them is a dreadful kind of pleasure Uh, (laughs) That they're very like witty, these little boys. They're like cynical but honest. Um, an unexpected kind of mirth. He baffles the shopkeeper with his fits of laughter. Victor Hugo gets uh, round vowels from me instead of laughter. <laughs> I, I feel like he imparts laughter. <laughs> um, his range extends good hum- humoredly. Oh god, that word didn't want to come out. Good humoredly. That word just doesn't sound right. <laughs> Spoken aloud, but we move swiftly on. Um, from high comedy to fuss. Chapter three, he is likable. 
<laughs> um, I did want to check, by the way, because I was like, oh, these sound like, these don't sound like Marius chapters. And I was like, ah, oh, that's because they're not. They're Gavroche chapters. Mm. Yeah, I was like flicking through the chapter titles ahead when I saw the He Is Likeable one and was like, is yeah. he there? And then saw that coming up as one titled Gavroche. And I was like, okay, yeah, yeah I'd buy it. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I, because. Marius definitely didn't is not this like likable little gammon wandering <laughs> through the streets with his little like cheeky little grin going to the theater and stuff. Likable sounds very, very not true. <laughs> I was like, I have to make sure that we are t- talking about the right person. <laughs> yeah, assuming that listeners have read or watched some version of it. <laughs> Picture Gavroche and you'll be like, okay, he is likable. Yes, you're correct. A little tick next to this chapter title. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, he goes to the theatre. Theatres are a kind of upturned ship with the keel in the air. And I was like, oh, another ship thing. Nemo will love that. (laughs) It's also interesting. I was talking about the theatre the other day. So I I wrote... um, a long time ago now it was like the precursor to my phd and this podcast and an article in exeunt about um uh the lamest stage cast and racism and stuff everything that we've talked about here before but i was talking about how um currently the lamest production is owned by cameron mcintosh oh and we kind of talked about that before but how it's like you know super fucking like ironic that he makes his fucking billions from this play about um the 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 mis the social injustice and social mm. inequality and, and and economic inequality and stuff um yeah and i was thinking about theater and stuff and how if you want to go to the theater now it's minimum 40 pounds for one ticket um and that's like in the in the gods up at the top um but yeah, the like idea of theatre being this like bawdy place, which is like full of people, like working class people watching like uh, variety shows, basically, really strikes me as like how we've uh, fallen. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know whether this is worth saying because I could not tell you my source. Um, I wouldn't even mm. know where to begin finding it. But I'd read that like... Even like, you know, when upper class, I am, God, I can, this is just like, you know, when you just know a thing and you're like, I could have learned this in school. I could have read this somewhere. I can't remember barely any details. But um, the way I imagine is that it's like Austin time when she was writing things. So, you know, like upper class, middle class going to shows and like the opera and things like that. That it was actually very like people were barely paying attention to the shows. It was like mm. all the socialites there, and you know, like you, the way we picture fancy people going to the operas, you know, like in Hannibal, and they're all wrapped and maybe shedding a tear, <laughs> and you're all paying such close attention, and maybe you understand like all the languages they're singing in. Um, but it was mm. just like everyone's like fucking shouting over each other and catching up and things like that. Like, like it was a place to be seen. Mm-hmm. less of that like you the, I feel like the way we kind of treat it now is like very respectfully yeah and I, I think some of that has to do with the fact that like um things like the variety the variety variety because obviously there are different like stages of theater and I think opera has always been the like high class thing where like you know uh it's probably more quiet and then you have the other theaters um which have like stage shows and stuff and that's yeah the like catching up and the like uh, shouting over each other and then at the bottom you have the like working class ones which is like entertainment shows and like really packed theaters and um also shouting but like uh laughing and paying more attention Mm. and i think the 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 fact that we've gone through so much austerity in this country <laughs> means that theatre has like stopped being the like bottom one and has merged into the top one. Yeah. Um, where it's like, because still now, if you go to the you know, the English National Opera House or if you go to the Royal National Opera, um, which I've only been to once, but you can't just like, well, you can. You can go in a t-shirt, but people still... <laughs> dress up in a suit and in a in a dress mm. to go and see the opera um uh, but if you go to like you know 
uh, a different theatre to go and see Les Mis, for example, you can wear a t-shirt. Um, but there is still that, that classism of going to the theatre because there were so many articles that came out about um, celebrity casts and stuff like that. Like Kit yeah. Harrington was in a show and like loads of like Game of Thrones fans went to go and see it. And like all of these like high class snooty people were like, oh, you're not going to see the theatre because you respect theatre and you, you don't respect Faust and all that kind of shit. And like, <laughs> you're like, and yeah, fuck Faust. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And like people were like, oh, and they were eating like their chicken. They were oh eating their God, McDonald's yeah. in the theatre. And like they were wearing, they might as well have been wearing their pajamas and blah, blah, blah. And people were like, fuck off. <laughs> like, they were enjoying the show. And that's the reason why people don't go and see theatre anymore is because of people like you. Yeah. <laughs> um, all this to say, I do really enjoy this like image of the theatre in this because uh, Gavroche probably worked as like a ticket seller or something like that, or like uh, uh, handing out paper uh, flyers mm. in the streets to like get people to come in, which is why he gets to have free tickets to the theatre to like you know he like stands at the back or whatever. Um, yeah, and I really like that image. We should get more like. <laughs> I was about to say we should get more like gammons to like paper people, but I'm like maybe we shouldn't like do that. But um, I would definitely go and see a show if like a, a little like charming little child ran up to me with a piece of paper and was like, "Please, sir." <laughs> yeah, like it does. Like he would just say, like in the list of little jobs they do to like make some pennies is yeah, like important people will be like, "Go stand on the street and shout <laughs> these words." Yeah. They're like, "Yeah, exactly, doing that thing." I just yeah. remember I was like just as you were speaking remembered. Yeah, you know, I was like, "Oh, I don't know where I know this thing from, but I have a vague impression that I once learned this." So I was like, "I took Renaissance theater." <laughs> <laughs> I just badly said is slightly more credible than it seemed before. (laughs) And I've never seen an opera, but I have made outfits for, I think it was for the Royal National Opera. Hmm. So I went to see um, Gilbert and Sullivan and uh, got like £10 tickets because they're like desperate to get more people under the age of 25 to go and see <laughs> opera and like when we went to see it that the the eno is huge it's like thousands of p- seats and it was like maybe 15 percent capacity for oh a God. show and like i could count on one hand the amount of people of color in in the audience and i was one of them so <laughs> you think that like you'd rather lower the price a little bit and have more people go yeah to be fair like the prices uh are not that high considering well compared to other theater comparatively they're not that high Mm. um you can get the same price tickets for for theater and for opera but i think as well it is that marketing thing of of they don't want to ruin their reputation yeah um and so they're like only yeah, they only bring in certain people and they're not like doing outreach and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, th- this could be a longer conversation <laughs> because I know a lot about this kind of stuff. But Yeah, yeah. Um, I have never thought to want to go to an opera, but let's go to an opera together when this is all over. I think we should go and see an opera. I, I I, don't think we all understand it, but I think we could enjoy the experience. Yeah, I think you ju- you're just meant to be like, yes, I feel the emotions. That's the point, yeah. isn't it? Great. It's the spectacle of the thing. Yeah, I, I love spectacle. Uh, yeah. Give us money to our Kofi so me and Nemo can get <laughs> Yeah. We will be the gammons. Yeah. Um, give a person the unnecessary and deprive him of the essential. What you have is the gammon. Um, and to like immediately derail us again. It did make me think of a conversation. Oh, maybe it's not a conversation I had with you, Nemo. Maybe it was with someone else. Usually I don't have conversations with other people. Um, but like, I don't think this is where Hugo was going with this. But you know, the like, oh, they can go to the theater, but they don't even want to spend money on like essentials. Uh, it mm. reminded me of like when you've grown up very poor and you're like, I'm going to let myself have a treat. Or as the case may be, you're like, I can barely let myself have a treat, but maybe I'll get myself this nice candle. Uh, And people are like, oh, well, if you can buy that frivolity, then like, Mm. 
are you even struggling? And you're like, I just need a nice thing every <laughs> now and again so that like life is kind of worth living occasionally. <laughs> um, but I, like, I guess these are kids, so maybe it's not exactly the same thing, but like, I pinged that for me a little bit. Um, unnecessary to deprive him of the essential, and that's a gammon. But um, I do get why he's going with that, I guess. <laughs> and they are kids. They they should. If they are making bits of money, they should be able to spend it on frivolities. Oh no, I've lost Nemo. Hello? Okay, wait, can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you now. Well, let's hope for that you caught the... That it did record and you can just paste us together. Yeah, well, that's what usually happens anyway. But yeah, I was like fully agreeing with you. I don't know where you went with the end of it, but like it... Yeah, the the common thing now being like... um. Um, oh, you have a smartphone, then you're not really poor. And it's like, well, what are you supposed to do if you don't have a smartphone in this day and age? Mm. Like, how are you supposed to apply to jobs? How are you supposed to, like, um, talk to people? How are you supposed to, like, use your bank? Because now you can only use internet banking and two-factor authentication. So fuck you. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and then I was saying, I, like, didn't realize until I finished my entire thought that it was gone. <laughs> I was just like, Nima's really letting me want take this one away. I'm getting uncertain. Oh, Nima's not here. <laughs> Nima would be backing me up if they were here. Um, but, like, also, because like, I, I, I think, like, I get what Hugo is saying with that line. And, like, it feels mm-hmm. like a good line. Um, but, they, yeah, you're also like, they're children, so if they're working for money, it would be nice if they could just spend it on going to the theatre. Mm, yeah but yeah because your gammon is not without literary instinct and it (laughs) we say this with all due regret his natural inclination is not for the classical style (laughs) oh god of course (laughs) he's not very academic nemo Mm. (laughs) um and then he makes this hugo makes this little like oh, if they went and saw this play and the name of that is this, then they would call it this. And then I've got a little like a little um, translator's note and they're like, this is a very cryptic reference that you can say that you're like, you idiot, it's a cryptic reference. What did you even do it, Hugo? It doesn't even make sense. Uh, I feel like that's one of those things where it's like, um, you you had to be that kind of thing. Like, it's mm. an off-off West End piece of work. <laughs> like, I could reference the fact that, like, oh, well, if you didn't go and see One at a Time at the, the Elephant elephant and camberwell theater then um really you weren't participating in theater in uh 2021 so yeah it probably is just that i just love any opportunity to be like you made a bad choice (laughs) um but he still has some literary instinct just like not for the high arts they like some comedy um This- Did I tell you? I feel like I've probably said on this podcast my new favorite factoid about the highbrow and lowbrow, haven't I? Yes, I think about it a lot, actually. Yeah. Because ah, oh, oh, I can't remember. No, maybe there's this is another one that goes nowhere, and you have to cut it out. There was <laughs> it was you know like we've started calling it pancaking. You know when it's like when I realized that a pancake was a cake in a pan. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so like similar vein to that and to the highbrow lowbrow thing that we we in my house. Learned another thing recently. God, I wish I could remember what it was. We were like, oh, let's actually see what that means. Oh, it's like probably like classist and racist. (laughs) It always is. It always is. (laughs) Maybe I'll remember what it was because it like got all of us. You know, when you're like, oh, (laughs) it was one of those. Yeah. I'm just like I don't know how to actually um, swim. Yeah, and uh, like I'm like you know two seconds away from going on my rant about how like um, uh, China in the like 11th century was talking to to uh, the Middle East and they were already doing like complicated star charts and Mm. like algebra and all that kind of stuff. (laughs) And yeah, the Middle East has been the like the like center of intelligence for the last like millennia <laughs> and white people were like no but highbrow culture <laughs> i just don't know if you can understand this stupid <laughs> mud hut making that we're doing in england <laughs> also then- we forgot all of medicine like you told us 
And actually, like, a lot of the medicine that we have that works is because actually we did, like, have a working relationship with you and, like, have copied versions of your books. But we've decided to forget it all, so we're starting back from square one. (laughs) And we're not going to bathe, so, like... Oh, especially that. (laughs) We're going to put lard in our long johns and, like, sew ourselves in, and that's us for the winter. (laughs) This is when we get into my dissertation. <sighs> I love when our dissertations can meet in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> it's where your your ones you know what you were doing better. And my my dissertation is here's the facts of how we were fucking stupid in England. <laughs> but we really hope for the best. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah, we know better though, don't worry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and can understand so much. Um yeah. Actually, this almost does lead neatly into a thing that Hugo's about to do. He's not quite yet, but like this will circle back. So th- think of this as setup, and I will pay it off shortly. Okay, uh, on like uh, the Wolf Winter Falcon TV show. <laughs> Got him. Uh, this. I mean, by the time this episode comes out, then it'll already have like finished, and we'll be like, "Fuck you." <laughs> We'll have already been vindicated and upset. <laughs> um, you know who's not upset? These gammons. There we go. We're back. Um, this creature brawls and bawls and jutters and jives. I do love some alliteration. Um, he's young in years, but old in experience. Um, more things they get up to. Fishing in the gutter. Hunting in the sewer. Um extracting merriment from filth and you're like okay Hugo just say this is about you (laughs) (laughs) Um, wise even in his foolery he would squat down on Mount Olympus he wallows in the dung heap like yeah you do get like the two sides of this and he he, like is going wildly between like now I'm like don't want to use high and low language (laughs) out of fear Um, (laughs) but uh you know, like very classical, like Mount Olympus is in there. Um, he does mm. a lot of making little references to Horace and, you know, like ancient Greek things while also, yeah, being like wallows in the dung heap um, and things mm. like that. But the feeling you get is that Victor Hugo has so much love for gammons. Mm. Uh, mm. He can be useful, says the next chapter. Um, Paris starts out with the Gorpa and ends with the Gammon. Two types no other city is capable of producing. Um, in my head, <laughs> that brought it back to what we were saying just now, but I already forgot what we were saying just now. High and lowbrow, fucking idiots. Oh no, but we know best because we're white yeah, Europe. Yeah. Um, not quite that, but like adjacent. Victor Hugo has a lot of like, this little trauma could not exist anywhere else but in Paris. And also, yeah. um, oh my god, this, um, oh, where's the exact line? In any other city, a vagabond child is a doomed man. Um, oh my god. You know, where he's left to fend for himself um, and is consigned and abandoned to a kind of fatal submersion in public spaces, in uh, in public vices. And those destroy honesty and conscience in a child. In Paris, the mm. gammon is virtually unscathed. Um, inhaling Paris preserves the soul. Uh, the splendid integrity of our popular revolutions. A certain incorruptibility <laughs> ensues from the idea inherent in the air of Paris. <laughs> so, like, yeah, actually, I think I... I think it brought it back to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It reminds me of, um, I feel like we talked about this in the BBC special episode, but that guy, Robert Toombs, who was a like, um, cultural correspondent, mm-hmm. co- uh, consultant, who was like, um, but the people who really suffer are like wor- white working class boys and we mm. should really be like respecting white working class boys. So like, yeah, I feel like some of that's, our boys are better, like, yeah. Even the term "our boys" isn't that a play? I think about like World War Two boys and stuff. But yeah, but that so. like fascination that um, filmmakers have with the white working class boy in London or in Paris as being the like 
we make them like no one else does kind of thing. Yeah. It's like, well, you certainly do make white working class boys. You could destroy this system of <laughs> capitalism, but you're not gonna. Yeah, and like, yeah, with that in mind, how charming and like great Hugo finds this whole thing. Um, because like, so that little nugget comes off the back of him being like, yeah, like, these are homeless children and... Um, <laughs> Oh, and they're these little vagabond children, and you know, like I know it's not all great, and like it's kind can't maybe you will have some heartache, like it's a bit sad, but like if you think about, but our our it would be sad if it wasn't that these are Parisian little boys, like actually it's great, <laughs> oh yeah, that's very much what you were saying. That vibe is there, but luckily fortune works on this little creature, um. That like God just loves this these little French gamins and like he <laughs> looks out for them and makes sure that there's always like a little opportunity for them. Sure, um, sure, sure. So sure. you're like, I would love for God to care about all these little boy children <laughs> running around and like keeping an eye out, but you're like, it is very um idealized is exactly the correct mm. word for what Hugo is doing with this right now. It's just like, oh, they're just always ready to laugh. And um, he, oh, he loves this city and no one loves Paris like Victor Hugo loves Paris. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I, because like the gammon is an extension of Paris, like the, there is a line where he's like, Paris is like, this is my little boy. So... If Hugo loves Paris this as much as like we have seen over everything leading up to this part of the book, if the gamin is an extension of Paris and is Paris's child, of course Hugo loves him as well. Mm. Um, and this whole concept and wants to idealize it really hard right now. And then um, because it, it it's Hugo, he's like, if you like the author, <laughs> went on a walk to the outskirts of Paris where the city meets the landscape. And you're like, of course you went on that walk. Um, yeah. Yeah, he's really interested in, like, literally, you know, where city roofs and uh, markets become just, like, unfarmed land around the outskirts mm. of a city. The mixture of feral and respectable. Um <laughs> I hate, the, I hate the that one like that in my head right now popped up image from fucking Snyder Cut when I can't remember who it is who's traveling into Central City or something and it's like they're like their car goes through the fields and then in the skyline is Central City and I was like I hate that Snyder has implanted that image that when I think about 19th century France through Hugo like that's the image that comes up. <laughs> The way he intended. <laughs> I'm sure Hugo would love that. That's true. It's four hours of artistic vision. <laughs> Unfiltered. <laughs> Where the unfrequented by day uh, spots become death traps at night. The open air cafes are by the cemeteries. The mysterious charm of high grim walls. All this attracted the gamin. Um, so that there's basically mm-hmm. like roving packs of gangs of children um, and if you were to go on one of these walks you might like when you least expect it and where you least expect it catch a glimpse of one of these packs of kids just like having a good time and playing games but the second they notice you they're like oh shit I should be making money and have a job uh, and they'll come over and try and sell you something mm. Mm. yeah he loves her. anyone who like us continues to roam blah 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 more of the same um Mm. they innocently sing their repertoire of dirty songs um it's it's all about the juxtaposition um Mm. says hugo sometimes among these gangs of boys there are little girls their sisters question mark almost young misses thin feverish with weathered hands and freckles wearing spikes of rye and poppies in their hair. Cheerful, frenetic, barefoot. <laughs> oh, God. There he is. <laughs> there he is. Because Victor Hugo is his own director. Yeah. The, the you must 
mention Fee at all times to be a male director, it still holds up over time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it transcends time and space. <laughs> <laughs> I want someone to do a PhD on uh, on like how many Oscar winning directors have foot fetish on main. <laughs> I'm gonna get Laura to do that because she <laughs> actually has a film degree so it's easier for her instead of us like i'm gonna swerve into this (laughs) ours would just be a think piece we want this academic yeah but as the city loves the gammon the gammon loves paris and they could no more leave paris the parisian atmosphere than a fish can leave water uh, and their whole, like their whole worlds, are just Paris and like a little bit of its outskirts, but like no more than five miles from the gates in any direction. Mm. And we get on to a bit of history. Um, so, like <laughs> leading up to this point, I was like, these are just like hee hee hee. I can have a pretty good time with this. We're not going to get too serious this week. And then, like the end of this chapter, I was like, ooh, a thinking point. <laughs> so i guess we're giving you the auditory version of my experience of reading this where we've been pretty casual this week i would say (laughs) i mean we always are but like particularly (laughs) so a bit of history in the period that is uh recent in which this book is set there was not yet as there is now a policeman on every corner of every street a benefit, a benefit this is not the time to go into, he says in uh, uh-huh. in yeah. uh, <laughs> What did you say as I spoke of you? No, no, I literally just said, take us back. <laughs> yes, that's great. Um, oh, so, because I read that as Victor Hugo saying, it is a benefit that now we have a policeman on every corner. Oh. But maybe, no, but maybe you're right. Maybe I'm predisposed to like be like, you've got no more chances. <laughs> Should I give you the whole sentence? Yeah, sure. During the period, albeit so recent in which this book is set, there was not, as there is now, a policeman at the corner of every street. A benefit this is not the time to go into. That's pretty unclear language, isn't it? Mm. It could be... Either of them. Everything well, he goes like, you decide which one you makes you like me more. <laughs> Victor Hugo looking at his audience like, a cab? No, no. But Blue me. Lives Matter? <laughs> I think actually, now that I'm thinking of the context of the rest of this chapter, as you should do when reading things, um, yeah. be better than me. Um, I think actually... He's soft. Your what you thought it was, where he he goes like mm. it's a benefit not to have a person on every corner, mm. not to have a cop. I want to say that for him, <laughs> but I, I've been banned before. <laughs> well, at least I think at least in this chapter. Okay, I'll give you the rest. I think actually that yeah, I was just coming in ready to be like fuck you and you love the love of the cops, <laughs> you and your Javert, Hugo. <laughs> So the statistics, because we're Hugo and we love numbers, um, Mm. there was an average of 260 homeless children rounded up annually by police patrols on open land um, and like under bridges and wherever they could find them, really. We are in fact talking about the most dire of social symptoms. All the crimes of man begin in the vagabond of the child. So he's, yeah. They're mm. beginning to get a bit serious. Who was like, but you know, like I get there was a lot of homeless children, and like, the, yeah, this does say we live in a society. Um, <laughs> but then that's where the next chapter is. The next um, paragraph is the one where he's like, oh, but like it's not a problem in Paris. Like <laughs> Paris accepted, however. Um, so you're like, but <laughs> so is it bad? Um, yeah, and hailing Paris preserves the soul. So it's fine that these Parisian vagabond children... What we have just said in no way reduces the heartache you might feel every time you come across <laughs> one of these children, um, around whom you see the fluttering ties of the broken family. And he's like, yeah, maybe it's a bit sad. And, oh, they're left to their obscure fate. This is called 
being cast on the streets of Paris. I feel like an interesting thing there is that he 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 mentions like a broken family and and obviously well maybe not obviously but Gavroche is um the son of the Tanadiers and I find it really interesting that he mentions that it's like a family's problem rather than like uh, a societal one because like society is great because obviously they're in Paris and breathing Parisian air is great but like it's the like family casting out these children um, mm. and like putting the onus on them rather than uh, rather than on like social inequality which this book is supposedly <laughs> about but... yeah yeah because like he then doesn't go on to like be like oh it's society's fault that there's all these loose children running around Paris <laughs> he's like incidentally this abandonment of children was not discouraged by the former monarchy <sighs> so like I guess monarchy yeah monarchy as a society is makes a socio but it, it feels like the vibe and I'll go I'll read it to you in a second um, but it's more that it's like well it's the past lot's fault right? that there was loose children they liked it and it's like I actually looked up because he's going to go into like the former monarchy and um, Louis XIV who nine yes no. nine no Fourteen. Fourteen. Um, <laughs> but he was in 1685, and I th- mm. am now having a lot of fear. When was this goddamn book published again? 1862. Yeah, okay, I thought it was in the... So, like, that was hundreds of years ago, Hugo. Like, it is an interesting <laughs> thing that he... It is an interesting thing, and I'll, like, give you all the things on it. But, like, yeah, the, it, I don't think it gives the vibe of, like, the problem right now with all of these vagabond children is society. He's like, here's mm. another time there was vagabond children. And it's separate yeah. to how great it is for them to be vagabond children today. Because it was actually mm-hmm. pretty bad 200 years ago with that monarchy. Um, because, uh, so basically, they were... <laughs> There's also just like a bit of irony here. In opposition to the edu- education of children... Um, of the lower orders what good are the semi-educated um, and it, it sounds like he's being like oh those fools didn't think that there was any worth in being semi-educated but we're like you come down on the semi-educated characters in this book so hard yeah also I do have to laugh because because I, while I do agree with your point, which is, you know, he's like blaming the monarchy of 200 years ago for 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 these Parisian children now. I am like, well, we do kind of blame the same things on the same like 200 years ago for us as 1821. OK, right? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> fine. Complaint uh, removed. <laughs> No, I, I mean, I, I do agree because he, he's like personalizing it as like Louis XIV's like explicit fault that these like children are on the street and not because of the like, and, and literally being like, no, no, it's not Paris of the after the revolution that could cause this. It, it must be the like monarchy from before. Um, but I also did find it funny that it was, uh, we do the same thing. <laughs> Hugo <laughs> I hate that for us that'll get me to be better if nothing else does <laughs> um, yeah because back then the monarchy had need of children sometimes uh, and then they would clean up the streets uh, so basically under Louis there had been some wars and you know you need a fleet but let us consider that good idea of a fleet let's consider mm how that comes about um and like for a fleet you need ships and vessels so galleys were necessary but um the galley only moves by virtue of the galley slave so galley slaves were necessary colbert who has come up before maybe i've even talked about him in a special let's pretend i have Mm. um or maybe i'll come back to this because i find it very interesting uh colbert required that the provincial commissioners and local parliaments um sentence to the galleys as many convicts as possible so and the Mm. magistrate 
Was I right with magistracy? Magistracy. Magistracy. Magistries. Magistry is what I would say, but I don't know. Magistry sounds better, but yeah. there is a C in there. Um, well, the magistrates were very obliging in this matter. So f- for something as little as a man keeping his hat on as a procession went by, Huguenot behaviour, um, he was sent to the galleys, and a Huguenot is a uh, type of French Protestant, which were particularly uh, persecuted by that king uh, at the time. So you even look a little bit like one and they're like, to the galley! Um, Mm. And if you came across a child in the street, as long as he was 15 years old and nowhere else to go, you sent him to the galleys. Under Louis XV, 15? Children disappeared in Paris. Uh, The police abducted them. Who knows for what mysterious purpose? To the point where sometimes... Even children who did have families were taken. These desperate fathers attacked the police. In w- in such cases, Parliament intervened and they were hanged. Who? The police? No. The fathers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, like, that one ended and I was like, oh my god, like, based on everything that came before that, you were just like, these boys, Hugo loves them. Um, and it's mm. great. And it's great that they're running around Paris. And then he really suddenly, yeah, is like, it was really bad for vagrant children in the past, but not anymore. <laughs> he doesn't do a like, not anymore. He's just like, it was bad. Mm. But based on everything that he's said of like, the present day of the book, vagrant children, it's all great is the impression he's really tried to give. Mm. I was trying to remember because uh, I've definitely looked into this like galley slave thing and and Colbert and uh, Louis the Fourteenth, but I couldn't remember very much of it. So I very quickly went on um, Wikipedia and it's not showing what I wanted to show. So I guess I'll just try and remember what. Uh, but basically, um, uh, did a lot of like colonizing and mm. you know um uh, encouraging major public work projects as well as to ensure that the french east india company had access to foreign markets so that they could always obtain coffee cotton dyewood for sugar yeah uh and uh oh that's what it was the code noir so he he was part of the code noir basically which was uh, a decree um which restricted uh, activities of free people of color mandated the conversion of all enslaved people throughout the empire to Roman Catholicism, defined the punishments meted out to uh, enslaved people, and ordered the expun- expulsion of all Jews from France's colonies. So, you know, the really, really, really happy, great thing that um, he did. Um, but yeah, I found that interesting because um, the idea of like um, uh, galley slave, because obviously for the reader of uh, Les Mis, assumedly you would associate the word galley slave with the fact that Jean Valjean was mm. a galley slave. And so, again, putting the idea of like um, uh, Colbert, who specifically did, uh, who drafted the Code Noir, which, you know, talked about race so much, onto this word galley slave, which we would think of with Jean Valjean. So, again, I don't think that Victor Hugo is saying like, um, uh Jean Valjean is a black man or uh, a person of color but he is putting those like emotions one might feel in 19th century France towards the enslavement of black people and and through this you know uh, Victor Hugo has been pro abolishment uh onto the white Jean Valjean so yeah um and uh little fun fact uh <laughs> Alexander Hamilton <laughs> was inspired by <laughs> As in the actual man, mm. Alexander Hamilton, uh, uh, his policies were inspired by Colbert's. So, um, and also uh, one of the, the power struggle between Colbert and Fouquet, Fouquet, Fouquet is one of the main plot lines of Alexander Dumas' The Vicomte of Bragelon, Bragelone, Bragelone. <laughs> The second sequel to The Three Musketeers. Ooh. So, you know. I'll have to. Yeah. Maybe we'll reread that and be like, <laughs> we're billing those hours for the podcast. Those hours we don't actually get to bill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's definitely like, yeah, like you were saying, like, oh, Victor Hugo is unlikely to be being like, Jean Valjean's a black man or a person of color. But he has sprinkled mm. enough that, like, 
there's a strong argument there. He's definitely yeah. yeah wants and to- uh, it, it it comes into that thing of the like um the we talked about with Fontaine quite a lot where where Fontaine repeatedly is like well Hugo is like oh you know we always talk about that abolishment has happened but there is still slavery and mm. it's the slavery of white women um and it's that same like concept basically of of appropriating the the narrative of slavery and the pain of slavery and grafting it onto white people because <laughs> uh, yeah you'll love what the next chapter that We've read all. Uh, we've read all that we're going to do this week. It was actually pretty perfectly yeah. timed, um, but uh, in a similar vein, the next chapter title is um, "The Gammon Would Have His Own Place in India's Caste System." <laughs> <laughs> so exactly what you just said. <laughs> he he just genuinely like. He's like, oh, I think I may have talked bad about Paris too much. I just need to shove in a, a, a person, a, 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 a foreign culture, just so I can like be like. But actually, if they were in India, they would have it worse. So, so uh... <laughs> yeah, because like his the, that last little like info drop about mm. you know under Louis Fourteenth, did he say XIV? Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, like. Especially off the back of how, like, woo, felt very poignant Mm. because you're like, oh, God. Um, But, like, everything else that he said and, like, what he's saying about present day has been very, like, (laughs) isn't this such a nice thing for Paris to have? And, like, yes, okay, it might make you feel a bit sad for a second, but, like, overall... (laughs) It it definitely does have that same energy of of um I don't know it's slightly different energies but again with Andrew Davies like being like oh yeah you know uh, social inequality still survives today as I was going to my champagne reception for my BBC <laughs> launch at BAFTA I had to walk past these homeless people and it really made me feel like so many feelings and then I went in but what can you do. <laughs> Yeah, like we've still got because I, I reached this point. And I was like, "Oh, there's six chapters. Maybe I should shuffle us through them all. There can't be that many more. <laughs> there's actually quite a few more. Um, so maybe, mm. maybe the opinion will change. There's loads. Maybe. Um, there is. Yeah, like okay, maybe only ten more pages, but that's pretty decent actually for a book. Um, mm. yeah. Who's to say? Maybe he'll. But he just like came in really hot and heavy with the like, <laughs> and it's fine in Paris, like anywhere else. Yes, this would be bad and sad, but mm. um, those cheeky chappies. I wonder how much of the like because because the 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 he love he yeah he definitely relished the like disparity between the 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 classical literature and the rolling in the mud kind of mm. thing and I wonder how much of that as well is because Gavroche is a child of both of his parents and and how much they're like rolling in the mud is the equivalent of his mother's like reading those like romance trashy romance ah. novels and his father reading the like books that are too clever for him kind of thing um ah. and maybe he's like <laughs> are we giving too much to Hugo um <laughs> Using the juxtaposition between this kind of like language and like the metaphors and like the references he's bringing in, because also these little gammons are going to the theatre, so they'll be picking up things mm. that maybe they can't understand, but they'd use these kind of references. Yeah, it, it is interesting. It, it's another one of those things where I'm like, I think he just genuinely <laughs> finds it funny that he's describing poor people with like uh, rich people language. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, <laughs> you know, I believe the same. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess we ha- we do give him a bit of we give him plenty of benefit of the doubt. But we're like, but maybe just in case that isn't mm. what this is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, you go to the opera. I I actually don't know the plot lines of many operas, but I'm pretty sure a lot of them deal with, like, a a rich man meeting a a poor woman. Mm. Um, I mean, just the same as uh, 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 Fontaine and 
Ptolemies, yeah. Um, and Marius's mother and father is the same story as well. Oh. So that like operatic quality of like, you know, yeah. And obviously Marius and Cosette. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I just think that the like... I mean, we we all know that it happens that like the 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 romanticizing of poor people mm. as a like because right now you know you get a lot of like posh people wearing trackies and it's like uh, <laughs> it's become a like style thing now to be mm. wearing what what even like five years ago was seen as like scare quotes low brow yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you just made an even more, uh, even more stronger argument, <laughs> even more poignant argument, and even stronger <laughs> argument for why it is very relevant for you to send us to the opera, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because there's themes of you. You said that in operas, the the rich man and the poor woman. And that happens in operas, and you just listed off well loads of times that it happens in this book. So we should go to the opera. It's really important <laughs> for the podcast. Is yeah, opera going to survive? Yeah. Opera will be fine, actually. I was going to be like, will opera be okay? Will there even be operas? I'm sure that there are plenty of um Stevie, my mouth is moving with the amount of words I want to like <laughs> fly out. It came out very early into lockdown. Like a lot of people. Um, uh, a lot of like companies had to share how much money they were giving to all of their staff and uh, or was it Arts Council? The Arts Council basically like <laughs> said how much money they were giving to everyone and bearing in mind that most people in theatre, like I would say 80% of people who work in theatre got zero pounds over the last year um, there's this one person who's the one of the artistic directors of the, it's either the ENO or the Royal National Opera, and his salary was one hundred and sixty thousand pounds a year. <laughs> that person owes <sighs> us a ticket to the opera. <laughs> yeah, literally. It was like it was one of those funny things where, like, um, because it happened. You know, um, there was this big thing at the beginning of lockdown where people were encouraged to share how much money they they earned um, because it was yeah, it was basically like shining light on disparity mm. and like. Everyone was like, oh, I feel really ashamed that I'm earning like 23K and like I'm like a middle manager and like blah, blah, blah. And I just feel really bad for the people below me and stuff. And then like, you know, most people being like, well, I earn like 100 pounds a day, if that. And I do so much unpaid labor. So it's like, you know, less than minimum wage. And then everyone was like, you know, eating each other uh, uh, I was going to say eating each other out, which isn't the right <laughs> turn of phrase. But um we were like cannibalizing ourselves down here on the like under 23k for annum kind of scale yeah. and then the like 160k came out we were like what the fuck <laughs> like actually we're all fine like, how much is that 160 divided by uh let's say 23,000 that's seven people's salary on a 23k <laughs> oh my god <laughs> For a year. Yeah. Well, opera's just fine. And they're gonna <laughs> goddamn give us a nice little cheap seats seat. Yeah. It wouldn't even like they they probably spend more on the fucking breakfast coffee than they do on like both of our seats. Our week our week shopping, our month shopping. God <laughs> It was going to be unlike usually you do like a bit at the end of the episode where after the theme tune is actually just like us ranting about the opera gets quieter <laughs> and it, as it goes into the. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll put that over there. Um... Just thinking about little kids in the opera now, I guess. It could be us. We both look like children. It's true. I can we'll, play we'll... fifteen quite easily. <laughs> so could you? I think. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I, I, I think it really does come down to like what costume we wear and uh, just some. Hood. The fifteen-year-olds look like twenty-one-year-olds now. So that's yeah. true, actually. If I, I'll put actual makeup on, and they'll be like, <laughs> "You look thirty-two. You must be 16. <laughs> anyway. 
This has been Brother Barricade's Lamest Podcast, produced by me, Neiman Martin, and Julian Yap. It was a Captain's Collections podcast. Um, I don't expect any of our listeners to be uh, highfalutin opera managers <laughs> of the artistic directors or whatever, um, but if you do have a couple of uh, pennies to spare, you can donate to our Kofi or to our Patreon, which are in the show notes. Um, or if you don't, which is like all of us in this pit, um, you can send us a nice comment or question or quibble to our email lamispodcast at gmail.com l-e-s-m-i-s podcast or to our tumblr at bread arcades or to our twitter at lamispodcast um or you can leave us a review on itunes and if you like this beautiful music playing over the top of us you can buy it from jade uh on her website jadewasabi.bandcamp.com and wow i got through those credits so fast didn't distract you thank you for listening wow my voice really cracked on that thanks (laughs) (laughs) thanks for the opera money (laughs) i wonder what opera we should go and see a comedy opera the only one i know the name of is carmen yeah i mean a lot of them are racist as well yeah that doesn't surprise (laughs) we go and see madame butterfly (laughs) 